Streaming live 24-24-24-7. Radioinfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. And welcome back in to another edition of the only digital radio show that is exclusively devoted to underdogs, not just in college football and the NFL, but now... We're going to be college basketball underdog exclusive all the way through March, all the way to the Final Four. It is Three Dog Thursday. The Super Bowl has been put to bed. The Philadelphia Eagles are champs. They're having the parade on Three Dog Thursday in Philadelphia for the first time since 1960 with a football championship. So welcome in and welcome aboard to my analyst, senior handicapper, writer, VegasInsider.com, Mr. Kevin Rogers, back to talk Super Bowl, back to talk college basketball. First of all, good to have you. Second of all, amazing, wild, high-scoring Super Bowl that goes to the Eagles. So welcome in. What are your thoughts, sir? Thank you. Uh, nobody played defense. Yeah. No, no. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with it. Um, I mean, number one, the job that Nick Foles did. And, I mean, Carson Wentz, there's got to be a part of him that's that's annoyed. There, there really has to be. I know that he seems like a good guy, a good teammate, but he took Philadelphia this far. He, he was an MVP candidate. He gets hurt, unfortunately. And you think the Eagles season's over, and Nick Foles comes in and doesn't lose a game the rest of the way. Actually, the Cowboy game, but kind of throw that one out there. Week 17 that they pretty much didn't care about. But uh, wins the three playoff games, shreds the Patriots' defense. New England seems like a mess right now. But uh, Tom Brady, I mean, from the throw for 500 yards, still impressive. And they still took the lead in the second half of that game. And they still had the ball, the chance to tie it with that late touchdown. Mm. I, I really thought they were going to catch that Hail Mary. But, uh, you know, the Eagles, they... They responded again. Everyone was down on them going to Atlanta. Everyone was down on them in the Minnesota game. And everyone was down on them going to the Patriot game. But, uh, you know, obviously they came through. It's a great job by Doug Peterson, a great job by Nick Bowles. And they found a way to put it together and win. Yeah, we, we talked at length about different aspects of this game in the preview mode last week. Uh, as you mentioned, a score fest. I mean, some amazing nuggets come out of it. In the history of the NFL – Ever, regular season or in the postseason, no quarterback had thrown for 500 yards, three or more touchdowns without an interception, and lost any game ever, much less lose the Super Bowl with those kind of numbers. And it's just indicative that uh, Philadelphia had to play that well to overcome it, especially when Brady, with the McDaniels play calls and the scheme, came out of the locker room, Kevin, and they put three touchdowns on the board, bang, 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 on their first three possessions. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people were looking at that saying they're going to win again. They're going to be back-to-back. They're going to be three times in four years because Philadelphia can't stop them. What were you thinking watching that as the second half unfolded? You know, when the Eagles, I guess when they got the fourth and goal, the trick play, that the, they threw the touchdown pass to Foles, I'm thinking, all right, you know, they're in control. I mean, the same feeling was last year at the Falcons. It was 28-3, it was done. I mean, you can't really believe, oh, it's 28-3, they're fine, the Patriots. They got them right where they want them. But when the Eagles took the lead and they were up, like, whatever, because it was such a wacky score, when they were up 22-12 to and they were up by, like, 9-8, and eight, whatever it was, that 
all right, they got this. The Patriots aren't coming back. Then the Patriots kept doing it. They kept doing it. And you're thinking, my goodness, like it is unbelievable how they can just go down the field and score without any, like they don't have the threats that the Eagles have. They don't have Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith and these guys that can go all the way down the field. They don't have that. And yet the, uh, the Eagles still were able to counter those punches. Can I say this, though? And this is one thing I, I know that you know a lot of people saw this on the broadcast. When Zach Ertz scored that touchdown, I don't know, and a lot of people criticize them, I don't know what Chris Collinsworth was talking about. A guy that is a pretty smart guy, <laughs> was a standout receiver in the NFL for a long time. I don't know what he was saying when he was questioning that as far as, it, oh, that could be reversed, and that's close to the Steelers' touchdown against the Patriots. It wasn't even close. They were, yeah. well, it wasn't close as far as fumbling, like he broke the plane. And secondly, it was not the same play as Jesse James. That one, he didn't have control of it getting over the goal line. Zach Ertz clearly had it over. I don't know what he was talking about on that. Yeah, and it's a good point that you make, and there were some criticisms about the NBC broadcast. Look, Collinsworth won Emmy Awards, so is Al Michaels. Um, and I know we have so confused and convoluted, there's a big word for Three Dog Thursday, what is a catch, what's not a catch, and it reared it, it's reared its ugly head again, in, even in the Super Bowl in that game. Collinsworth was on the previous touchdown that the Eagles scored that might have been controversial. I thought it was a catch by Corey Clement, the running back in the back of the end zone. Collinsworth was focusing on the bobble uh, after he had gotten one of the feet down. And, and there's two or three things that the fans should know. I mean, one of these is the network announcers at the highest level are getting all kinds of feedback from the league, from Al Riveron and the head of the officials, from, from uh, you know former coaches that are on the competition committee. They're getting all kinds of feedback from every which direction, and it fills your head, Kevin, and you've done play-by-play of games, and I have too. It fills your head with what they've told you. The other thing that I think hurts NBC is that unlike what Fox has done and what, NBC, what CBS tried before, they don't have an official there in the booth with them, a former referee, a former replay supervisor that could help them. Heck, Fox now has two of them with Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino. My point to you, don't you think it would have helped NBC some for the Super Bowl game to have a former official you know, say to them, this is blatant on Zach Ertz. He caught the ball. He took three steps. They cannot overturn that. And I think an, an official would have set Collinsworth straight. Do you buy that? Yes and no, and, and I understand where you're going with it, and it would have been a good idea for NBC to have it. They were, it felt like they were the only network that didn't have that, and the other networks did. But then I kind of go back to, I know this is this is silly, but you know, even like with Mike Carey, when, and people joke about that, the, the official, uh, former official who, who did some, some work with CBS, they would go back to him in the studio. There were times where he would say, oh, that's not a catch, and yep. then they would call it a catch, and it was like, well, what's he there for if they're going to call something different, you know, and obviously it's tough because you don't know what's going to be called in the field. But just to talk about the Corey Clement catch, I thought that was a little more questionable than the Zach Ertz one because, again, it goes back to the, the ball is barely moving. And now it's almost like a like, like um, a Jedi mind trick thing. Like we saw the Kelvin Benjamin catch with the Bills against the Patriots. The ball was barely moving, so it's not a catch. How is it not? He has the ball. Like, how does, how, how, does he have to, like, glue it to his chest for it to be a catch? I mean... And that's where I kind of thought with Corey Clement, I'm like, oh, well, the ball's moving a little bit, and you say it's moving, so it's not a catch. So that's kind of where I could see if that was reversed. I think I think all hell would have broken loose if it would have been reversed. But the problem is no one's stepping up in this whole thing. And I understand you can't do it during the season, but now the season's over with. Somebody's got to step up and say, 
even Roger Goodell or, or, you know, whoever runs the rules committee to say, listen, you know, you still have possession of the ball. You still have it in your hands. It's still a catch. You know, if it hits the ground, then it's not a catch. And that's where the Jesse James thing was different because you could see it hitting the ground where that was a little different as opposed to you yep. not having complete control of it, but you still have control of it. Yeah, and so what is a catch? The NFL's got to deal with that in the offseason um, and and figure it all out. All right, kudos again to the Eagles for winning, for getting their first championship. How about the bookends? The last Philadelphia championship, the only title loss ever for Vince Lombardi in a championship game, 1960. Their next title comes against arguably the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. And then that leads us into the mayhem of what happened earlier this week where one of his assistants, Matt Patricia, ends up taking the Detroit Lions job. The other one, Josh McDaniels, was supposed to be the Indianapolis Colts coach and had verbally agreed to it. And then suddenly on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, decided cold feet, 11th hour, 59th minute, I'm not going to take the job. Kevin, I'll let you give me your reaction first. Everybody's had their take. They've had their say. Give me your reaction to McDaniels jilting the Colts and staying in New England and what you think. I'm not a Colts fan. I mean, just put that out there, number one. This guy's a clown. He really is. And I know that uh, that's not that's not the most mature thing to say. But here's the way I look at it. And, and you watch over the years, and we've seen the examples of coaches accept jobs and then back out of it. And you kind of wonder, what are the circumstances behind it? I'll go back years ago, okay, and you remember this because, you know, you live close, with Billy Donovan. Yep. When he was a coach of the Gators, and he was a very successful coach of the Gators, it was going to take the Orlando Magic job. He was there for a few days. And granted, he's not moving. I mean, people that don't live in Florida, Gainesville to Orlando is not far. So it's not like you're moving across the country. And he backed out of it, and then he was out. Obviously, he wasn't going to get a job for, for a while, and then he took the Thunder job. But he was an established coach of Florida, and I wondered at the time, and I said, why would you accept the job? And like, you know, I hate when, when these guys say, oh, I was rushed. You weren't rushed at all. Like, you had the time to decide, you made a decision, and then, you know, you decided this wasn't right for you. Okay, fine, you backed out, whatever. Now, fast forward to Josh McDaniels. He's not a proven head coach. So it's not like saying that, oh, well, this guy was such a huge commodity. He wasn't. And what I don't get is, and I, and I heard this earlier in the week, you know, his wife and his family like being, I guess, in the Boston area or wherever they live there in New England. That's fine. I have no problem with that. You know, you could eventually succeed Bill Belichick. That's fine. You like New England. That's fine. Why did you accept the job three weeks ago? What changed? And I know the rumors came out that Andrew Luck maybe isn't right. He could be out for another season or he could be injured for a while. First of all, you knew Andrew Luck was damaged goods already. So it's not like saying, like, oh, well, he's fine, and then all of a sudden we're finding something out. You know, but I just don't understand when you're 41 years old and you move before for jobs, like, you knew this was going to happen. And you didn't have this thought in your head. And can I interject? If you, you willingly, you willingly sought out and interviewed the Colts, interviewed with the Colts, and you basically had to have talked with your wife. Are we ready to move to Indianapolis if they offer it to me? Uh, and and I can't believe that wouldn't have happened. You're married. I'm married. So uh, I mean, he he sought them out, talked to them, agreed to the deal, and. Uh, do you believe uh, there, there's apparently nothing in writing? Do you believe that he is the heir apparent and that may he may even be the head coach as soon as, let's say, 2019? Not for this year, 
but that was that was part of this that he believes he's going to be the head coach maybe for Tom Brady's final year or last couple of years. Speculate. Go ahead. I'm sure he is, and that's the Patriots' prerogative, and that's fine. They can do whatever they want, and if they give him the head coaching job, that's fine. I guess I just go back to, like you said, I have no problem with him taking an interview with the Colts. I have no problem with any guys taking interviews. All you're doing is having, I've always said this about interviews, all you're doing is having a conversation. That's it. And if you decide to pursue it and go further, then that's on you. But you could obviously talk to them and say, okay, it's not what I want. Bye. And then everyone moves on. It doesn't matter. But you knew everything that was going on. And yet the other thing, too, which is very annoying, and again, it doesn't affect me at all, but just you, know, you look at it from an outsider perspective. This rumor about all these assistant coaches he was going to bring on that now signed, that quit other jobs, mm. signed a deal in Indianapolis, and now he backs out. So what happens with the new head coach, whoever it is? What do you do now? How do you work that out? So, you know, it's one thing to say you, you screwed the Colts over. Well, really, they can find someone else and they'll move on. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But when you have other guys that you promise or you move for them or they would move for you and – you're kind of leaving an alert, that's pretty bad. No doubt. Um, all right, so that's, that's the situation with the Patriots and that soap opera. And uh, I mean, what, what did, Let me ask you, what did you think of it? Because you didn't give your opinion. What did well, you think of the, it? The bottom line is I don't believe another NFL team will ever seriously consider him, so he better hope, McDaniels, that he does end up being the the Patriots coach if he wants to be a head coach. When you do this kind of thing, and I know enough coaches, I work in and around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I know numerous coaches in and around the profession of professional football, major college football and basketball, it, it is a fraternity. And when guys do things like this and backstab other assistants and other coaches, uh, leave them hanging like what he's done to the assistants you mentioned that signed on in Indianapolis – those are things that are career killers. That's why his agent, Bob Lamont, who is a power agent among coaches in the NFL, GMs in the NFL. Heck, Bob Lamont is also Chris Ballard's agent, the the Colts uh, general manager who's trying to make the hire and help put these two together. That's why the agent said, I have to distance myself from this. You just screwed this not only for the Colts, but for my credibility in trying to get you hired somewhere in the future. And I, I've got to make it known to other teams that when I am dealing with them on behalf of one of my clients, that my client isn't going to do something like this again. And Lamont, the agent, fired Josh McDaniels, essentially, and said, I'm no longer your agent. You better hope it works out in New England. So that's how... That's how bad it is. And, and look, and a couple of more points that are, that are facts and are, and are worthwhile. Denver disliked this guy so much that after a 5-0 and start their first year where they missed the playoffs, in the middle of the second year, he had so worn out everything and they couldn't handle him, they fired him in the middle of his second year. And this included, Kevin, an incident where he was caught, they were caught by the league, videotaping, hello, the San Francisco 49ers walkthrough for a London game, blatantly cheating after the whole Spygate thing. Then McDaniels ends up going to the St. Louis Rams, gets another chance, and he failed miserably as their offensive coordinator. And now he gets the chance to kind of revive his career in New England, and the next big move that you're trying to make, you totally leave the Colts high and dry, embarrass yourself, embarrass them. What a mess. And maybe maybe those that are saying in Indianapolis, maybe they're right, Kevin, your thought real quick and then we'll move along. Maybe the Colts are better off that all of this happened and it's a tempest in a teapot for a day or two 
because if this is what they were getting as the head coach, it was maybe going to be a disaster for 2018 and 2019, and they were going to have to fire him anyway. Thought from you? I, I 100% agree that, you know, if you want a guy, get a guy that, you, that wants to be there, and if it's Frank Reich, you know, or, or someone else that, you know, I, I believe in that, that sometimes those don't work out. And, and, and again, I think I guess Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, said it, that, you know, sometimes the first choice isn't the right choice, you know, is something like I'm paraphrasing him. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that. that. You can get someone else in there, and he can be a great coach, and, and it can all work out. So, you know, I think that he'll be okay. He'll be fine. How, healthy, how healthy is luck? That's the biggest question out of all of this, and we'll find that out in the coming weeks and months of the offseason and whether he can play uh, or not. All right, so we have done our part here to talk Super Bowl, put it to bed. Congrats to the Eagles. Congrats to Nick Foles, who uh, who obviously shut a lot of people up. I know for underdog purposes, because we got to roll here in a second, the underdog is now covered, by the way, in 13 of the last 17 Super Bowls, including several outright wins. That's a trend. And the Eagles just became only the third team in the modern era of the NFL since everybody's been keeping track of this to be an underdog at least three times in the playoffs, including the Super Bowl, and win the Super Bowl. The Giants were the last team to do that in 07. At least three playoff wins, including the Super Bowl, as an underdog. That's, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. So on Three Dog Thursday, we salute the Philadelphia Eagles for being a, an ultimate underdog quote-unquote, as a one seed, as you kept pointing out, Kevin, in the playoffs. Uh, Congrats to them. They get to celebrate uh, a Super Bowl championship. We will talk more. Kevin, stand by. We're going to talk some college basketball uh, as we roll on, including bringing Kevin back for some college basketball underdogs. On this program, we are 7-for-7 with college underdogs so far, so stand by. Underdog predictions coming up. Straight ahead, Mike DeCourcy, outstanding writer for the Sporting News on the college basketball front, as well as a national columnist. He will be with me on Three Dog Thursday. He's got thoughts on Josh McDaniels. He's got thoughts on some of the midweek college hoops as well. We are marching to march on Three Dog Thursday. College basketball predictions still to come. Stay with us. Yeah, as we do continue here on Three Dog Thursday, always love the insight of different guests coming on. And when I get a chance to get one of my faves on the program, dual purpose, because he's writing about the Josh McDaniel stuff uh, in the NFL as a columnist with Sporting News, but he's he's a basketball insider galore. Love his insight, uh, his knowledge and credibility in covering the game of college basketball nationally for the better part now of, oh, Lord, are we getting this old 25, 30 years? I think I am getting that old. One of my faves is Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, who's with us on Three Dog Thursday. Good to be with you, my friend. Hey, it's great to talk to you again, TJ. It's been a while, so happy to happy to rejoin you. You know that it is our time of the year when I start bothering you, and as I like to make reference to, when these kind of guys return my text message and return my call, it's always a good feeling. Years later, they still they still get back to me. Hey, I, I agree to to come on. All right, so we'll get into the college basketball in a moment, including Mike Midweek having been at uh, Mackey Arena, West Lafayette for Purdue and Ohio State. He was there. He was on location and watched the Ohio State come from behind upset so i want to talk to him about that in just a second however you weigh in as a national columnist on a lot of different subjects including pro football including the aftermath of the super bowl and josh mcdaniels jilting the indianapolis colts and staying in new england i've given my opinions my my colleague uh, kevin rogers has given uh, his opinions you wrote about this you equated it to almost like a daycare situation here the colts found out they were getting somebody from the daycare essentially i'm paraphrasing here so i know where you're coming from but elaborate for our audience here. You obviously 
um, like many others, are shaking your head at how did this happen and and why did this happen. So what are your thoughts now that we've had a couple of days to digest it? You know, it, it, when Josh was at Denver for the less than two years he was head coach there, the, the conven- you know, maybe it was a little convenient. The criticism of him was that he was immature. Um, he was only 32 or 33 when he got the job. Uh, and so a lot of people described him as immature, and certainly some of his actions justified that. Uh, although it may, you know, what the, the alternatives to immature at that point are really bad. Like I'm not, a, he's not any good at this job, or he's just a bad guy because of some of the things that he did, the way he dealt with people, the way he treated players. Um, so those are the other two options. So I think that if you say to Josh, which of the three? Uh, would you wish to describe you? He might have gone for immature. <laughs> and then when the Colts went in, in this circumstance, to say, you know, to go back and say, okay, we think that you're ready now to, to, to be better. And, you know, he wouldn't be the first. He wouldn't be the first one in, New, in the New England neighborhood to be a crummy head coach first time around. And then all of a sudden, about to do well. So uh, they, you know, they, uh, the Colts, you know, thought that he had grown up in those last eight or nine years, and then this happens. And so the, the natural response to that point is that, you know, that in my, you know, my column was that maybe he hasn't matured. Of course, the other two are still in play because, you know, bad guy, you know, would describe what he did as well. Because you're talking about somebody who uh, committed, you know, whether, whether it was contractual or whatever, I mean, Indianapolis had a commitment from him for a long time. They stopped interviewing coaches, so you know there was a commitment. Because it's not like they said, ah, yeah, we'll just wait. I mean, that's not how football teams operate. They had some sort of understanding that he was going to be their next coach. And then they had a, uh, some sort of formal uh, understanding that he was going to be their next coach early this week because they announced the press conference. They were, they were clearing up and sprucing up. Lucas Oil Stadium to do it. Um, you know, so I mean, if I can interject, like, you know, like, I so, they, so much so that he told them, I want to hire this assistant and this assistant. Go ahead and do a deal with them, Chris Ballard. And Chris Ballard did it at McDaniel's behest. Yeah. That's even more unforgivable, yeah. which I know is your point. How? Yeah, how would you feel if you were those guys? Like, those, you know, they, they left whatever position they had. And, you know, I... You know, move their families, I think, is a bit much. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that right now they're living in corporate housing and all that. But, I, you know, because you don't, you know, at that level, you don't, you know, sell a house and buy a house in like three weeks, right? But I'm sure there's a for sale sign wherever they are. And I'm sure that they've, you know, that they've moved themselves at least to here. Um, and so they're, you know, how would you feel if you were those gentlemen and this was done to you because, you know, the Colts are being very honorable about this, and I respect the heck out of that. They are, you know, they are going to keep those. I think there are three. They're going to keep them on staff. But for them, it's, you know, whoever the new coach is, is oh, by the way, here's your offensive line coach or whatever. Um, you know, that's not the same as, you know, you're the first choice of the, of the, of the head coach to be that person. So it's an uncomfortable situation for all of them. And I just don't think that honorable people would do what McDaniels did in this circumstance. And so in some senses, um, Indianapolis, I think, dodged a bullet there. 
Um, but it, uh, on the other hand, you know, it, it, it still doesn't make it right. Well, and a great point has been raised. We were talking about it just before you came on. Uh, your, your colleague, and I know him real well, and a lot of our listeners may read his stuff, Greg Doyle, who used to write nationally and now writes for the Indianapolis Star. Uh, I mean, he took a blowtorch to this whole situation. And one of his points, which I, I've just you know piggybacked on, if you were going to find this out, it's better to have found out this is who you're really hiring and this is what's going on and have this be tumultuous for a couple of days and then find a better candidate, essentially. I'm, I'm again, piecing it together and paraphrasing it. But if you're a Colts fan, maybe this was going to be horrific over the next year or so just just by the actions we're seeing from McDaniels. And maybe you're better off that all this happened and it's a big embarrassment for a day or two, but now you find a better coach. Mike, your thought real quick on that. Yeah, look, sometimes the hot coach guy is Pete Carroll. And sometimes it's a guy you fire in two years. Uh, it, it, that, there's no, you know, there's no uh, science to this. Um, when, when the Steelers hired Mike Tomlin, I mean, no one almost, you know, like only the insiderist of in, NFL insiders knew who the heck he was. Um, you know, he was, you know, he was, he was no one at that point. He was hired, I think, in 1990, uh, in, excuse me, in 2007, he was hired. In 1999, when I, when I half covered the Cincinnati Bearcats, because my boss said, would you please just cover the home games? Because at that point, Cincinnati football was so nondescript. He was on the staff as like wide receivers coach, and and you know, and then um, eight years later, he's the head coach of my favorite team. I mean, that's how fast he moved. <laughs> so he's nobody. He's not, and Doug Peterson, when he got hired, there were you know the the Marcus Hayes, the great columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, admitted the other day, not long after they won the Super Bowl, we laughed when he got when they hired him. So and now two years later he's a Super Bowl champ. So look, this is there's there's no guarantee that Josh McDaniel's going to be a, head, a good head coach when the Patriots probably put him in their chair whenever Bill Belichick retires. And there's no guarantee that if the you know if the if the Colts hire Frank Reich or whoever, there's no guarantee he won't be brilliant. I mean it's it, it it's not just it's not really a crapshoot from the inside. You know it's up to you to figure out what qualities make a good head coach. But from the outside, from the perception standpoint, there's no, you know, there's no guarantee out there. It's a, it, it, football coaching is the most difficult of all. I can tell you most of the time, I'd probably bat about 950. Um, if an assistant coach I know gets a head coaching job, I know whether he's going to do it well. Um, but I don't even know if, like, Adam Schefter and those guys, you'd have to ask them, but I would be surprised if they know you know, I think you're surprised if they bat 950 on the guys who become good head coaches in the NFL because it's just it's just a different deal. It's tough, and and my hand was up figuratively while you were talking a moment ago because I was one of the ones that said, "What are the Rams doing hiring a 31 year old offensive coordinator who's never been a head coach right. at any level?" And look at how they blossomed and succeeded. It can work. It doesn't always work, but it can work. Uh, Mike Tomlin, another example. The Steelers knew what they had in terms of a defensive-minded guy, in terms of a tough guy inside the locker room to get to get men to follow him. They knew what they had, and they were right. And the rest of us were trying to figure that out. Unfortunately for McDaniels, I believe he's damaged goods from here on out. I was saying that before you came on. You, you do this for a living. You're around a lot of college coaches. Uh, at the highest level, in, in particular in college basketball. I'm around a lot of pro coaches, and we're talking about assistant coaches. 
he has damaged himself forever in terms of credibility with the fraternity of coaches, hasn't he? I don't know how he ever recovers from that. He better hope that he stays in New England forever because the coaching fraternity has to be sour about all of this and not trust the guy anymore, yes? I think that's true. Uh, I think that will be uh, uh, difficult for him to bridge. Um, When he presumably becomes the next Patriots coach, he'll have a lot to offer because uh, it's a great organization and it's a successful organization, so he'll have that. Um, But the the people who he hires will probably have to know him really well or not have much to lose uh, because they're, you know, would you leave – you know, would you leave a position that you feel really good about with people you really feel good about to go somewhere where, some, you know, where uh, that sort of capriciousness is possible? Now, you, if, you work, if you work somewhere, if you're in an organization, you've got a good job, but your boss is awful and horrible, and, and you're going to go from, like, a linebacker's coach to a D.C., and the guy that you're working for, your head coach, is just the worst human being in the world, then you might go. But if you're happy and successful and you're the linebacker's coach somewhere where you really believe in your boss and then this guy calls and wants to make you the defensive coordinator, I think you think twice about it. Mm, to say the least. All right, love, love this man's insight on all subjects, but in particular, college basketball. Um, I need your help. Can you help me? Can you assist me? You've helped me many times in the past. How the heck did St. John's beat Duke and Villanova within four days when they had lost 11 straight games? Please help me. I will help you, uh, and and I will whisper this in your ear. Okay, it's something I'm working I'm on. I'm getting real close. Um, I'm getting real close to the to the <laughs> to the headphones to hear you. Go ahead, whisper away. College basketball is different now. <laughs> the separation that exists in college basketball is not between the first and tenth, or first and twelfth, or first and fourteenth team in a league. There's some separation there. That's why there's a first and a fourteenth. But the real separation is now between the first through sixth and maybe sort of and some of it, not all, and everybody else. Um, it's just it's, it's, it's changed very rapidly within the last five to ten. You know, it began about ten years ago, and it's really accelerated the last five as a, probably as a result of the latest round of expansion. Uh, but it, that's where the separation is. St. John's has really good players now. Uh, Rutgers has really good players now. The Paul does. They're not, you know, their records aren't good, but their uh, but their teams are kinda good. They're not, you know, the record is not. It, it, you look at the record and you say, boy, that's not a very good team. They're terrible. They're they're not terrible anymore. You know, five years ago, if you were in last place in the Big Ten, you were probably pretty bad. If you were in last place in the ACC. You were probably pretty bad, and you know what? Uh, if you were Duke or or Villanova or Purdue or whomever, it, you know, or that year's Purdue or that year, you know, uh, you could go in and you could play the last place team in your league, and you could sleepwalk through most of it. I mean, you could bring the cots out and still win the game because it just, just the other team just didn't have good enough players, and they you know and and they'd usually give up on the year um, about you know halfway through, and that's not happening much anymore. Coaches are making too much money. Players are too invested in their futures. Uh, they understand that if they go out and, and dog it in February because their team's not successful, that the, that the NBA scouts are looking and they see that, you know, they see that dogging, and so they don't do it anymore. Um, it's 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 a different deal now, 
And that's reflected in games like the St. John's Duke game and the St. John's Villanova game. Because when you play, when you're a college player and you're playing 40 games, and this is true of pros who are playing 80 as well, but you've got other things going on. You've got school and you've got, you know, um, social life and all that. And so every, you know, you, you, and you put out in practice because it's drilled into your head that you've got to practice hard to get good and all that. And then, every, you know, and then every now and then you look at the schedule and there's a team that's only won one game in your league or no games in your league. And, you, and you're at home and you're thinking, oh, this is the night, man. <laughs> we're going to take it off. We're going to take it easy and we're going to be good. And then we're going to go out afterward and get wings, you know. And then all of a sudden that team comes in and says, nope, we're not quitting tonight. We're, we're going we're gonna to play. So you better, you better tighten up your laces. And that's the difference now. And so you see it reflected all over. And, and probably when we get to the conference tournaments, we haven't really had many seasons where this has really been in place, so we haven't really seen what happens in conference tournaments. Um, but you know, probably that will go away because of the fact that the teams that are in the conference tournaments are, you know, they want to win those, or they want to win some. They they want to get a higher seed, they whatever it is. Um, so you won't see the same. But that, but but that it's like it, it's more like the NFL now, or more like the NBA now, where you know the team that the team that's expected to win wins most of the time, but all of the time doesn't happen anymore. Right. Well, and well said here by Mike DeCourcy. I will throw in a couple of more nuggets. That is the first time the Wednesday night defeat of Villanova. That is the first time ever in the history of the AP poll that the AP number one team lost to a team that had been at least 0-10 at one point in their conference. <laughs> that had never happened before. So we live long enough, Mike. We see everything. And the last time St. John's beat the number one team... Uh, villain uh, that that year, uh, Chris Mullen and his team playing beat Georgetown as the number one team in the Big East. How wild is it that St. John's comes back around to Chris Mullen as the coach and he beats the number one team now as the coach after doing it as a player? And of course, that's the '85 year where Villanova was eventually the national champion. The Big East was such a great conference, so. Uh, amazing there with the footnote. couple more minutes with Mike DeCourcy here as part of Three Dog Thursday. Again, Kevin Rogers and I coming back in a little bit with college basketball underdog predictions before we're done for Thursday and for this weekend. You were at, as I mentioned earlier, West Lafayette, Indiana for Ohio State and Purdue. I will put it up on the tee and let you whack. Uh, What an atmosphere. What a game. Tell me more about Ohio State coming back to win it. It's one of my favorite buildings, and those who love college basketball and are thinking about, boy, I'd love to get there, whether it's, you know, whatever cathedral of the game. The Mackey itself is not a beautiful old gym like Allen Fieldhouse or uh, or Cameron Indoor Stadium or even Williams Arena, the barn up in Minnesota. There's not much, there's not much character to the building itself, but you put, you know, 12,000, 10,000, however many it holds, Purdue fans in on, on a night, pretty good. It's one of my, not my favorite building, you know, the best. Um, but it's it. But I love the student crowd at Mackey Arena, and I, and I love going there for 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 big games. It's it's just a wonderful place to visit, and I would highly recommend it. Um, but you know, I, I, the 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 one group of people last night that wasn't really super duper jazzed to be there were were the Boilermakers themselves. I just did not same energy exist in their performance that I've come to see from some of their prior 
28 games or 25 games or whatever. They've been, they've been really good. And I think they maybe are a little tired and, and they were carrying that winning streak. And I think it was starting to weigh on them a little bit. They're not sharp at all. If you watch the game, uh, they, you know, they had simple passes that they were dropping and fumbling and either became turnovers or near turnovers. They just didn't have it all there. Uh, early on, Isaac Haas carried them through and their seven, two center. And he played really well early. And then, Late, he, he, they didn't do a very good job of getting the ball. They had a couple of nice scoring runs because they're a great offensive team that gave them some some uh, comfort in the game. But eventually, Ohio State just kept plugging and slugging and finding their way back into the game. And when uh, Andre Wesson banked in a three from the left wing with about a minute 20 left, <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, they're ahead. Uh, and he, I think even Andre said, uh, I don't think he'd expect that. You know, he wasn't planning that bank, but – it went in, so uh, they're ahead, and then they again in the, in the final thirty seconds that uh, they had uh, they had a, they had fallen behind again. The Buckeyes they had a stop, they had a chance to 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 to, to get a bucket. Um, they got stopped, but they kept fighting for the rebound. So they got two offensive rebounds in the final twenty five seconds, and one of them was turned into the winning bucket by uh, Kata Bates Diop. So it's it, Ohio State's a uh, uh, not an overwhelming team, but they're really tough, and you better play well to beat them. And Purdue just wasn't really sharp last night. And I think that I think some of them thought that maybe Mackey would carry them through that game. And then they've got the big one Saturday on the road at Michigan State, and that was going to what be what they saved their A plus effort for because they would need it. Uh, and Mackey almost got it done. I mean, they you know they're they're one stop away one rebound away from winning with probably a B-minus performance. Well, they they are good. And again, uh, Purdue we're talking about. And the Big Ten is good and has depth. I mean, depth is big in a lot of these conferences. The ACC, as you were mentioning, might be in that category of one through six. Who, who's really going to win it? Uh, SEC, kind of the same thing. There are, there are six or seven really good teams, including Tennessee, that has suddenly, uh, emerged along with Missouri, along with Alabama, like the usuals, like Kentucky and like, uh, Florida and others in that conference. Auburn is even really good, even though they took an upset. How about, how about Villanova, Auburn, and Purdue all in the top 10, all lost at home in conference play on Wednesday night? It's why we love the college hoops. It's why we love this man, uh, Mike DeCorsi. Say one more time for the audience here on Three Dog Thursday. Uh, there, there's just nothing better than ramping up to the month of March. These conference teams playing each other, everybody trying to get their act together. And the one thing that the St. John's upsets tells you your season is not over, Mike. We've seen it a bunch of different times where teams put it together and find a way to make something happen in March and make a run to the Final Four or maybe to go win the whole thing. That's what makes this great, February building to March, right? You know, I think the one phenomenon that we've never had yet in, 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 in uh, major conference basketball is what uh, my friend Jerry Palm from CBS calls a bid stealer. Like, uh, and this 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 has been true over the years with great mid majors uh, when Wichita was in the Valley and they were so good that they were going to get in regardless of whether or not they won their conference tournament in the automatic, and so then let somebody else like Illinois State comes up and wins the conference tournament and so then technically they've stolen a bid away from someone that thought they were getting in, um, and we've never had that really at the major conference level. SEC I think two thousand. 12-ish, 
2011, somewhere around there. Um, they were borderline, and they won the tournament, so then they became a, a definite. They probably stole that bid. But I'm talking about like a real one, like somebody um, from the middle of the pack of one of these major conferences, uh, whether it's Colorado in the Pac-12 maybe, um, or say in the ACC, let's go to um, trying to th- – uh, trying to think of somebody that's maybe not, like NC State, not. somebody like NC State, well, for NC example. State, NC State's in it though; they could win enough between now. I'm, th- I'm talking about trying to find a team that is off, you know, that's not making it, um, but that isn't bad. And you know, I, I'm I'm struggling for the right Boston College. There's one. Okay, I mean they've beaten Duke at home. They probably aren't going to do that, but that, I mean, is someone like that going to come up and win one of these league tournaments? Because that's not something we've ever had before, really. And so that would be the next step in this evolution that I'm talking about. And it would really, you know, it really change the game a little bit. It would, it would amp up the excitement at those kinds of tournaments. You know, Iowa State in the, in the now they're not really middle, they're bottom, but Iowa State's good enough in the uh, Big 12 to maybe go ahead and do that. They've played a lot of people tough. So I think it's going to make those conference tournaments more exciting. Some of those middle teams, like you mentioned, NC State, they really got to scramble in the league tournament. I mean, they're not to, you know, they got to play well. They can't go out and lose the first round and then say, okay, we're getting in. They have to, they have to play well. So I think these conference tournaments this year, because of the depth and balance in a lot of leagues, and because even though they're, Virginia's great and Purdue's great and Villanova's great, They've been shown, it's proven now, that they're in range uh, of some of the other teams. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that first week of March. I've always loved uh, Selection Week, even more than as much as I love the NCAA tournament. I've always loved the week prior even more because, you know, and for a simple reason, more basketball. And now I think we might have more compelling basketball than we've ever had. Well said on all fronts. Again, give this man a follow at TSN Mike for the sporting news. He's Mike DeCourcy, writes on all subjects, but mainly college basketball, especially this time of year. You also see him on the Big Ten Network, on their Big Ten programming, including Big Ten Basketball and Beyond, and uh, their, their aftermath shows. Uh, this it's coming. The 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 march to march, the the madness, the mayhem, the upsets. Uh, if St. John's doing what they did wasn't a, a neon billboard for you, I, we can't help you. You could see that with your eyes closed. That those shockers, uh, those kind of upsets, are what March is all about. So it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it. Listen, thank you for spending some time with me uh, here on this program on Three Dog Thursday. I look forward to catching with you, catching up with you again. Maybe as we are in tournament time, conference tournament time, NCAA tournament time. Keep up the great ro- uh, work with the Sporting News, Mike DeCourcy. Uh, we'll keep reading, and we appreciate your time here. Happy to do it, TJ. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Back in once more here on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. Again, find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Subscribe to the show. Rate the show. If you're already subscribing to the show and you're hearing us on iTunes and Stitcher, rate the show. Rank it. Uh, Leave us some feedback on it because others will see that. It'll help us get seen, get noticed. 
uh, socially, etc. You can tweet at us at Three Dog Thursday. Uh, tweet away at Kevin at Vi Rogers uh, as well. Uh, tweet at me at Buck Sideline Guy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Buc Buck Sideline Guy. And again for Kevin, it's at Vi Rogers for Vegas Insider. We'll call Kevin Rogers back in here. Uh, my pleasure there to have Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News on with us, talking some NFL and talking some college basketball. And, and Kevin, your thought right away before we get into the college picks, just staggering. How do, how do we explain the ultimate underdog, St. John's, not only beating Duke last Saturday, but then following it up with an upset of number 1 Villanova in conference play. After an 11-game losing streak, they beat two teams in the top five of the AP poll back-to-back. Wow. Talk about ultimate underdogs. Wow. Yeah, and you would have thought that, you know, Chris Mullen, you know, they were going to take that next step maybe this year after his first season where they struggled, you know, it was kind of a new team. And, you know, they lose to Georgetown twice. They lose to DePaul. And, and you're kind of like, my goodness, you're 0-11. And a great win over Duke uh, last Saturday at Madison Square Garden. And then, oh, you, know, you followed it up with Villanova up next. And Villanova had been blowing out everybody. And you know what you needed to do? St. John's got out to that big lead, and Villanova still hung around at the end. I think it was a seven-point lead towards the end, and Villanova got down, I think, one or yep. two in the final minute, and uh, that's a great win for St. John's. Villanova will be fine. They'll, they'll be fine, you know, and you losing to an 0-11 team in conference play, I really don't think is that huge of a deal for as silly as that sounds. I mean, Villanova didn't lose to Prairie View at home. I mean, St. John's is still a decent program. Like, let's not... You know, they've had some yeah, bad you, luck. And you look, you look, they had won, what, 11 games? I think they won 10 games out of the conference. So it's not as if they were horrible, horrible. It's just once they got into the Big East, they hadn't won. Did this potentially hurt Villanova for a number one seed to lose to St. John's? You could say the same thing about Duke. Duke lost to him at the Garden. Did this hurt Villanova's number one seed case? Or do you think a lot of basketball left to be played? Do you think they're still all right? I think they're fine. I think they'll be okay. I mean, if they end up winning the Big East tournament and if they have like one more loss the rest of the way, I think that there's a separation with about four teams, four or five teams in the country, and then everyone else. And Villanova's in that class with Virginia, and then we'll see who comes out of the Big Ten. I mean, Purdue, even though they they got tripped up by Ohio State, I mean, which is not a big deal. Ohio State's been very good this year. That I think Villanova's in that in that upper tier class. So as long as they don't have a tailspin, I think they'll be fine. They'll still be a number one. Season. All right, we'll see how that goes. And again, on Wednesday night, we're we're here in on Three Dog Thursday, headed to the weekend. We saw Villanova lose at home. We saw Purdue lose at home. We saw Auburn in the top ten lose at home in conference play to Texas A and M. What do we keep saying? Anything can happen in conference play. And look, we have been on a roll. So far documented, we are 7-for-7 on underdogs. And I need to clarify, last week I had the Texas Longhorns uh, against Oklahoma and picked Texas to win the game, and they did win the game. So I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and claim that we're 8-for-8 eight eight on the college basketball predictions. Now, Texas did not end up being an underdog. And, Kevin, you can help me out here uh, a little bit on how all of this works. Again, we're taping the show in advance of the weekend. We don't know the actual point spreads, obviously, when the show is out Thursday for the weekend games because that typically will not come out until Friday. So we're flying a little bit blind. In my case last week, I made a very ed- well-educated, assumption that Oklahoma had had won seven games in a row had been favored in or actually had been favored in seven games in a row won six of them had been favored three times on the road Texas had a losing record in the Big 12 they were three and five Texas had lost their previous game to Texas Tech 
I made the assumption that Oklahoma would probably be a small favorite, something like a one- or two-point favorite in Austin. I thought Texas would win the game. Texas does end up winning the game, but Vegas ended up making them a, a favorite. Just give me a quick comment and educate the audience here. We don't really know those lines until Friday, and it's sometimes tough to peg in conference play who's going to be a small favorite or a small underdog, right? Yeah, and look, I'll let everyone behind the curtain that you know, we have these conversations before going into the weekend and saying, you know, do you think this team will be a favorite or not? And and again, I work in this industry and I try to do the best I can to think of, you know, this team will be favored or not. I, I believed that Oklahoma would be favored, even if it was by one or two yep. on the road at Texas, considering what you said in the Sooners had been favored for most of conference play. I mean, they were favored by two at home against Kansas. You know, I, I really would have thought that they would have been a short favorite. And Texas, you know, a few times they were an underdog at home to Kansas and to Texas Tech, you know, who have been top-of-the-line teams. And Oklahoma's maybe a shade below them. So, yes, and that was the assumption. Then when I saw the line come out, we obviously taped the show, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> that was a little surprising to me that Texas would be favored. But that's what we do, and, and that's why I'm not an oddsmaker. Right, correct. We don't do that, but... I even I said outright it's document. Go back and listen to last week's show. Texas will win the game, and they did win the game, and it was considered an upset in terms of the rankings too. And Texas with a losing record in the Big Twelve, big win uh, for them for Shaka Smart's team in the rivalry game. So we're rolling along in college basketball, and I'm just letting the audience know that we're going to make another prediction on a Saturday game. We feel pretty safe that the favorite is going to be the favorite, so stand by for that. Let's talk Thursday underdogs. I know a lot of people are chomping at the bit for us to give them some more underdog predictions. I will begin with the Sun Belt Conference here. Again, this is a conference where I will be working the championship game for the fourth year in a row coming up, a league that has the likes of Louisiana Lafayette leading it right now. They're undefeated, the Ray John K. Johns are leading the league undefeated. Right now, this this league has got Georgia State out of Atlanta in it. It's got Arkansas State, South Alabama, Texas, Arlington, Appalachian State. These are the teams that are in the conference. And Lafayette, uh, uh, Louisiana, as, they know, as they're known now, they're playing Georgia State on Thursday night. So if you're hearing the show, obviously on Thursday, this is a game coming up Thursday evening. You may already know on Thursday night, and obviously you will know after that, how this game went. Georgia State Panthers have won seven games in a row. Uh, they are hosting the game. They're the second best team in the conference. Uh, Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette, undefeated in the conference at 10 and 0. They are the favored team. The line here at two and a half. I will take Georgia State. They've got an outstanding guard who's the conference player of the week, Devin Mitchell. I will take them to hand the Ragin' Cajuns their first loss. I am calling the outright win for the Georgia State Panthers. Remember, this is the team, Kevin, that has Ron Hunter as the coach who blew his Achilles out. I was right there courtside. He blew his Achilles in the postgame celebration coming out to hug his son after they had won the Sun Belt Tournament three years ago, had the Achilles uh, casted, had the surgery. They then went and played an NCAA tournament game and beat Baylor with his son hitting the game-winning three-pointer, so it was kind of a magical season there for Georgia State. Ron Hunter still the coach. I'll take Georgia State at home Thursday night in Atlanta to hand uh, Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, their first loss in Sunbelt play on Three Dog Thursday. There's underdog number one. So give me an underdog that you like uh, here this weekend. Mr. Vegas Insider, what do you think? Well, I will go to the Pac-12 and Stanford is facing Utah. And the Utes, they've, 
they've been up and down in, in Pac-12 play. You know, they, they came up with a couple wins early. They wanted Oregon and Oregon State to start. And then from there, they've just been very inconsistent. They beat Washington State at home, and Washington State's been awful. And, uh, you know, they've hung in some games at home against Arizona and Arizona State, but they're just coming off a blowout loss to Colorado last week. And, and they're, you know, the Pac-12 has their little rivalry games. You play the one game in the weekend. But Stanford, though, they've actually played uh, much better of late. That They hung with Arizona until the end and lost uh, by two at home to the Wildcats a few weeks ago. They're coming off a sweep of the Oregon schools. They beat Oregon State soundly and also destroyed Oregon last Saturday by about 35 points. And now they're getting three and a half against Utah. I think that Stanford can keep this going. They have some momentum right now, and I'm going to take the points with them against the Utes. And we have been very good in the Pac-12. I had Washington against Arizona last Thursday night. Again, I called the Washington outright win over Arizona in the Pac-12 last Thursday evening. You had Colorado a couple of weeks ago in the Pac-12 that converted as an underdog. That's part of the 7-for-7, so pay attention to Mr. Rogers taking a Pac-12 underdog. Stanford Cardinal against the Utah Utes on Thursday. Again, you may be listening to the show later in the weekend you may already know how that underdog pick did or didn't do but we are rolling so far to start the season okay so back to reference what we talked about uh kevin the virginia cavaliers got a midweek win over florida state sorry i know kevin is a knoll the knolls led by one point at double figures at home in tallahassee but virginia came back and beat them 59 to 55 midweek this comes on the heels of their win at duke so virginia now coming back home we we have assurities in life of death and taxes. Nothing else is assured. However, we have a strong feeling that Virginia is going to be favored, if not significantly favored, against Virginia Tech Saturday night in Charlottesville, correct? I I think we're pretty safe in that, Kevin Rogers, that Virginia will be the favorite? I think we can guarantee this week that uh, that'll be the case. All right, so the Cavaliers taking on the Hokies, who won midweek against NC State, and Buzz Williams' team in a very deep ACC is pretty good. They've won four of their last five games. They have a win against Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame is banged up on the road. I, I am a, I'm assuming that this line will be something like six points, maybe seven, eight points. I think Virginia Tech gives them all kinds of fits and problems. Uh, Justin Robinson is an outstanding guard for this Virginia Tech team. He lit it up for 32, a career high the other night against NC State. Something just says to me in the ACC, Hokies will hang in with the Virginia Cavaliers. ESPN will show that one on Saturday evening. Uh, I th- Virginia may very well win the game. The other thing is the way they play, defense, uh, working the working the shot clock a lot, hard-nosed basketball for them. They don't score a ton. I think this could be a very close competitive game. Let's see. I mean, they've suffocated some other teams. I, th- I will gamble a little bit here with Virginia Tech as a Saturday underdog against Virginia in the ACC. So there you go. There are our underdogs for this week. I'll review those again in just a second. And Kevin, I know we've put the football season to bed. We've turned our sights on Three Dog Thursday to college basketball, but you've got college hoops and so much more still going on with VegasInsider.com. Tell us more about what's happening there with the site. Absolutely, and football, as you said, is now done, so we have to sob now for the, last, for the, uh, for the next eight months waiting for football to come back, but uh, but still plenty going on. The NBA, All-Star Weekend's coming up uh, later in the month, but uh, NBA still rolling along, college basketball, so many storylines as we talked about throughout the show. And also uh, baseball starting up in about a month and a half. Amazing. And, uh, the win totals already out for 
that for the 2018 season. So that's gearing up. Obviously, hockey's still continuing, but still a lot going on. Even though football's done, there's still a lot. And March Madness is around the corner. So check us out, VegasInsider.com. Also at TwitVI, you can check out all of uh, our material there. We tweet it out all day and at night. Normally, we have a lot of updates on games uh, from a point spread perspective so you got all that at vegasinsider.com again twit vi is that handle kevin's handle at vi rogers always a fun follow love uh his insight and his humor you can follow this show at three dog thursday again subscribe to the show via itunes and stitcher uh rate the show rank the show and help us out kevin uh, i always have a blast with you good luck with your underdog of stanford i will take georgia state in the Sun Belt on thursday night also he's got stanford against utah thursday night i've got georgia state i'll take virginia tech in the saturday matchup with virginia those are our three underdogs we are eight for eight on correct college basketball predictions so far we are seven for seven with the college hoops underdogs so far let's see if the streak continues kevin thanks good luck with the underdogs We'll be talking more college basketball with you next week, sir. All right, TJ, thank you. There is Kevin Rogers. My thanks also to Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News for being our guest with some great insight on the college hoops world as well. Uh, Again, uh, we enjoy having you part of the program. Spread the word about the only digital radio show devoted to underdogs. The madness is coming in March. We love the college hoops this time of year on Three Dog Thursday. Bye. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.